Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our online stream. We're so grateful that you are able to join us. It is my hope, my sincerest prayer, that our time of worship has been encouraging to you. I know for me it was. I was reminded that no matter what is going on, that Jesus is the only one that matters. And so I pray that you were reminded of that truth as well and that your faith was built as we lifted up the name of Jesus. And so this morning we're going to continue on in our series whenever necessary. So if you have your Bibles and you should have them there with you, we're going to open up to the book of Matthew chapter 8. The book of Matthew chapter 8. And we are going to begin reading in verse 5. And so I'm not with you, but when you got it, say so. And um, stand up where you are so that we can read God's word together. It's a, a good way to be reverent, a good way to honor the Lord, and, and, a, and a manner of respect. And so the book of Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5, it says this. It says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under the roof, under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under great authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. God, we thank you so much for this day that you have given us. We thank you for reminding us, Lord, that you are glorious, reminding us that you have saved us, set us free, and reminding us that you need to be the center of our lives, God. We pray this morning that you would speak to us from your throne, that we would hear from you. But God, not only that we would hear from you, but Lord, that we would respond to you in faith, that we would respond to you in obedience. Lord, be glorified in the preaching and the hearing of your word. And I pray for every person that is listening to us today, Lord God, that they would have ears to hear from you and that they would not be distracted by anything, but that their minds and hearts would be stayed on you. We pray this in Jesus' good name, amen, amen. And if you're standing, you can be seated. And as I said, we're continuing in our series whenever necessary. And we've walked through a bunch of different um, lives and encounters that Jesus has had with different people. And today, I want to speak a message entitled, Great Faith. And, if, and you don't have an outline with you, but as we, come, as we continue to weather this storm as a nation, and as you saw in the video that we played, that video talked about the foundation upon which your life is built, that our lives have to be built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ because if our lives aren't built on the solid rock, when storms come, when situations come our way, guess what? Our lives will fall apart. But as we continue to weather this storm as a nation, what is needed more than anything else is a church whose faith is great. Above everything else that we have right now is we need to be a church whose faith is great. 
As I said last week when I was preaching, our lives are on display, not solely because every church right now is live streaming or you know sending out videos for their preachings, but because the world is looking at the church and how are we responding to Christ? How are we responding to the truth of God's word? Sadly, sadly, there are many negative responses in this time of crisis. From blame, to insults, to hatred, to fear, to anxiety, and of course, the all-wise Monday morning quarterbacks. You know those people. You know the people that after the fact, they always have an answer. You know the people after the game is over, they're always telling you, hey, this is what they should have done. They're the ones that are telling you stuff after the fact. They're not in the game. Those are the people that want to be leaders or the people that wish that they had a voice, and yet they start telling you everything that could have, should have, would have worked, however... They're not in the midst of the fire, and so they don't have the, the responsibility or even the understanding of the type of decisions that are being made. Now, listen, I speak from experience, right? Because I have been a Monday morning quarterback plenty of times. I've looked at decisions people have made, and I've, you know, picked them apart, and I thought, when I'm in that position, I'll do. When I'm in that position, no, 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 let me tell you something. I'm in that position now. <laughs> and in that position now, I can tell you that I make plenty of mistakes that I thought I would never make. I've made decisions I thought I would never make. And it's only because when you're in the fire, it's totally different than being outside looking in. And so right now, we know that our nation is weathering the storm. But church, let me encourage you. I want you to know this. We must be the light. The church must be the light in the midst of this moment. We have a message of hope. And at times, that means, let me tell you what it means. It means confronting the demonically inspired voices of deception that seek to deter our focus and destroy our hope. You got, you got to know that. That the enemy has a voice that is out there. And all he's looking for is he's looking for people who will embrace his lies and convey them and communicate them. The enemy does that not just in these moments. The enemy does that all the time, but especially in this season that we're in. It's a time that the church has to rise up and the church has to make sure that our focus is not deterred, but that we are focused in on what it is that God is doing and that we don't allow the enemy to destroy the hope that we have in Christ. See, I want you to think about this because it's in those moments of crisis, in those moments of difficulty, that the foundation of our faith is shaken. The foundation of our faith is shaken. And then we see, where are we really standing? Are we standing on sinking sand? Or are we standing upon the solid rock? I want you to think about this today. Great faith is not the result of a great person, but the revelation of a great Savior. Let me say that again. Great faith is not the result of a great person, but the revelation of a great Savior. One of the things that I love about the scriptures is that when you read the Bible, I realize this, and I've written a couple of reports, you know, in this last year as I've been working toward my master's, and, and, and one of the things that I realize about the scriptures is that God is so amazing. He's not worried about what anybody thinks about the people he calls heroes of faith, because what he does is he writes about their lives. He inspires people to write about their lives. If you go and you turn your Bible to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, and, if, and as you turn there, if you read through those, those people that are there, we call that the hall of faith. And so I would say those are heroes of faith. Those are people that the writer of Hebrews is inspired to say, look at their example. Look at how they lived as a, a life of faith. And yet, if you went with the microscope, or not even a microscope, you just sat down and just read through the lines of their life, you would be like, huh, that's a person of faith. 
That's a person who God calls faithful. That's a person who God calls an example. And what we find, what we, what we have to realize that God's not worried about that because it's not about us being great. It's about him being great. It's about him being great. It's about him being glorious. It's about us understanding who the Savior was, whether we're Moses who doesn't know what to do when he's leading the people and he comes to a Red Sea and he has an army behind him and he's like, Lord, what am I supposed to do? And the Lord is like, talks to him like, you should know what to do, right? When Joshua is leading the people and he has questions and God's like, lead the people faithfully. No matter who it is, when you're an Abraham, whoever you are, whatever you're going through, you're a person that it's not about how great you are. It's about how great your Savior is. It's about the revelation of who the Savior is. It's about the revelation of those mercies that are new every single day. Understanding your Savior will never fail you. That will build great faith. And as we come to the text this morning, this centurion man is one who Jesus says had great faith. As a matter of fact, Jesus said his faith was greater than he had found in Israel. Now, I want you to know, and I'll talk about it a little bit more later, but that's an insult because the people who should have had the greatest faith were the Israelites, the ones who had the Torah, the ones who had the prophets, the one who knew the promises of God, the one who were waiting on the prophetic declarations of God to be fulfilled. And yet Jesus says, and I have not found such great faith even in Israel. There's a reason for that. So the first thing I would ask you to repeat after me, if you were in the room, you can repeat after me if you'd like, but great faith is found in a changed heart. Great faith is found in a changed heart. And so if you're taking notes, you can write this down because this story is also told in the book of Luke. And so we just read through the portion in Matthew, in the book of Matthew chapter eight, um, chapter 8 here. And as you read through Matthew, it gives you one side of the story. But then when you read through Luke, it gives you another side of the story. It's like if you had two reporters that were looking at the same situation and one of them would say, hey, this happened or this happened or that happened. They're communicating what they observed, what they saw, the things that stood out to them. And so you have two different portions. So if you are taking notes, write that down and just know that we are going to go. So you may want to hold your place in Matthew and then turn over to Luke so we can go back and forth because I want us to look at the text together. But as we're going to discuss in a little bit, the first thing is this, is that we cannot stereotype. We cannot stereotype. And I'm going to get into that a little bit later, but what I want you to think about for a moment here is that as a soldier, as a centurion, he's probably a guy that, you know, we're looking at him as some rough and tumble dude that's not really sensitive, that's not really emotional, that's not really compassionate about stuff. Like, that's what we would think about if we're thinking about a centurion, the way a leader, a commander of legions has to be someone that's strong. One of my favorite movies is The Gladiator. I love that movie. It's a man's movie, right? Women, many women don't like it. It's very gory, but, you know, it's a love story, but it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a valiant. I was going to say violent, but I'm going to say valiant. It's a valiant love story. It's obviously violent. But when you, when you think about that, the, the, the commander of the army, when you, when you think about him and his, and his way of being, you wouldn't think of him as, as overly emotional. But, you know, when you watch him, you see that he really did have some great love in his heart. He was a, a, a man, a man's man. He was a beast on the battlefield, and yet he wept over his wife and his child who were murdered. 
He was broken because of that reality. And, and a lot of times we see somebody and we look at their exterior and we think one thing about them. And yet this guy gives us a different picture. And so if you go back to Luke chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5, we're, we're going to see exactly what I mean here. Because this guy was sensitive. He was compassionate. He had a burden in his heart for his service. This is what it says here. It says, now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. This is speaking of Jesus. And a certain centurion's servant who was, de who was dear to him was sick and, and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent the elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that, one, that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built our synagogues. So as we read in this story here, what do we find? We find that this guy had an understanding, and he had a love for the Jewish people. He was a guy that cared about his servant. Now, you got to notice who he's caring about. He is caring about his servant, He's not caring about someone that would normally matter. And, you know, we, we sometimes think of, you know, slavery in negative terms. I don't see anything positive about slavery. But typically, people who had slaves, they weren't thinking about them compassionately. They would just get someone else to do the job. They would get someone else to fill that role. No, but this centurion was so concerned about his servant that he sent a delegation of, of Jewish people to go and ask Jesus to come and bring healing to his servant. He was compassionate. But what did I say? I said great faith is found in a changed heart. What do we notice about this guy? This guy's heart, the, the, the Jewish people, now think about this. This is a big deal. We've been talking about the Jewish people over, and we've been talking about the Pharisees and the way that they view Gentiles. And I want you to think about this because here you have Jewish people who are vouching for a Gentile. They're saying this Gentile is deserving Jesus. He's deserving of a miracle. They're not calling him unclean. They're not calling him unrighteous. They're not calling him dirty. They're not saying, well, let's see how Jesus deals with him. No, they're actually going to Jesus and they're saying, come, please heal him. And why do they say to heal him? They say to heal him because he loves the nation of Israel and because he has built them a temple. And so here's what I want you to get about this guy here, about the change in his heart. While many Jews, and we know this because Jesus has consistently communicated that the law is not about just fulfilling rules, but it's about showing mercy. And, and, and what this guy was getting is something that many of the Jews had missed, and it was the spirit of the law. But this Gentile got it. He understood it. His heart was being changed by mercy. His heart was being changed by compassion. His heart was being changed in the area of giving. Why? All of the law and the prophets point to who? They point to Jesus. They point to the Savior because they point to the mercy of God. And this Gentile was grasping this truth and his heart was being changed. And so here's my question. Is your heart being changed by the gospel? Is your heart being changed by the gospel? If you're a believer and you're listening right now, your heart has to be being changed by the gospel. You are not just transformed past tense, but you are transforming, always transforming in the process and in the future until one day when you are totally glorified like Jesus, and that will never be this side of your life. Hello. 
You and I will be glorified if we are believers when we breathe our last breath or our Savior returns for us, whichever one it is. And so the thing to think about, just, just thinking about this life change, if you're not a believer and you're listening to us, if you're not a follower of Christ, I want you to know the gospel has the power to change your heart. God wants to change your life by the power of his word. The second thing I would ask you to repeat after me if you were here is this. Great faith is always accompanied by humility. <sighs> Great faith is always accompanied by humility. The second thing that we notice is not just that this man is a lover of the nation of Israel, not just that this man built them a temple, not just that this man's heart is being changed, but we also notice that this man is one who understands authority. Look at, if you're still in Matthew, you can look at Matthew verses 7 through 9, and then we'll compare to what we see in Luke. But Matthew 7 through 9, it says, and Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed, for I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one go, and, I, and he goes, and to another come, and he comes, and to my servant do this, and he does it. So that's, that, that, that's, that's what Mark says, but let's, I mean, what Matthew says. Let's look at what Luke says in Luke 7, verses 6 through 8. It says, then Jesus went to them... And when they had already, when they were already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, now look, look at these words, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I do not, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. What I want you to notice when we think about this is that apparently this guy's humility connected him with the understanding of what authority really is. He had this combination, this connection in his mind, in his heart. He understood what authority was. He understood what authority looked like. Not only was this guy compassionate and merciful and, and have a giving heart, but he understood authority. And look at this. He didn't allow his authority to go to his head. He didn't think, well, Jesus, come to me. I'm the centurion. I, I lead legions for the Roman Empire, and you need to come over here because I need healing. Nope, that isn't what Jesus did, was it? I mean, that, that isn't what the centurion did with Jesus. What the centurion did was he said, I'm not even worthy to come to you, much less are you worthy to come. He, he began to, or he, he demonstrates that he understood who he was. See, not only did he not demand that Jesus come, but he didn't even see himself worthy of Jesus coming into his house. See, here's what humility does. Humility recognizes limitations and asks for help. That's what it does. When you're a humble person, you know what you do? You realize your limitations. You don't do everything yourself because you realize you can't do everything. Come on now. Listen, if there's one thing that you and I have to be able to embrace, it's where we are limited. But not only that, you need to realize something. God surrounds you with people who are not limited in the areas you're limited in. You have to be secure enough in who you are to be able to celebrate the strengths of others that you don't have. Now, that takes a big, that, that takes a big person now. Come on. You, you, you could do it on your own, and you could figure out a way to make it happen. However, when you have somebody that, 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 that is around you, and they have abilities, Jesus had abilities that this centurion didn't have. 
See, this centurion, he could order armies. He could order servants. He could order people around. He could arrest people. He could execute people. He could do all kind of stuff, but he couldn't heal people. He couldn't deliver people. He couldn't bring healing to his servant. We don't know what happened before this, but I'm going to assume if this servant was at the point of death, it sounds to me like the centurion was at a place of desperation, which you know what that probably means? What it probably means is that the centurion had done everything he could to bring wholeness and healing to his servant, yet he realized he was limited, and when he heard about Jesus, what did he do? He sent a delegation. He said, Jesus, heal my servant. You're the only one that can do it. But not only does the, the humility recognize limitations, it also understands comparative worth before God. It understands the difference between you and your creator. It understands that, you know what, we're good, but God is good. You know what I'm saying? We're, we're good, right, we're in, in, in some sense of the word, but we're not good like God is good. We may do some good stuff, but God is good in all of who he is. See, there's a difference when you look at it comparatively. And that's what this guy understood, that he was a man of authority, but Jesus had greater authority. He understood that Jesus was greater than him. You see, this morning we had this beautiful time of worship. And let me just say this. The greatest worship, which what is worship? Worship is not just songs that we sing, but it's a life of faith in action. That is what worship is. It is a life of faith and action. It is us living our faith out, actively doing what God calls us to do, actively obeying what God commands and requires of us. That is what it means to worship God, is to live our faith. And you know where that comes from? It comes from a place of true humility before the Lord. But here's the question. What is your view of God? What is your view of God? You know, I heard this quote, and I'm going to go ahead and say it. Uh, I'm going to read it, actually, because it's a, kind of a, a tongue twister, a bunch of big words. But here's what it is. A wrong anthropology will produce a low theology, but a high theology will produce a correct anthropology that will result in a pure doxology. Come on now. <laughs> you want to impress your friends? Pause this. Rewind it, write all of that stuff down, and go and say, hey, let me talk to you about your anthropology and your theology and your doxology. You'll, you'll impress them, right? Maybe you'll confuse them. I don't know. But here's in English. Let me tell you what that, that is in English. Well, first of all, anthropology is the study of man. And when we have the wrong view of man, when we think too much of man, what it ends up doing is it ends up minimizing our theology, which is the study of God. And so what happens to us is this, is that when our view of ourselves is too high, our view of God will never be high enough. And then what happens is our worship of God is always diminished. It's never where it should be. And you know what happens? Then, then what happens is you begin to be in a place where your faith is not big enough, where you cannot be a person of great faith. Why? Because, man, you're looking at yourself. You're looking in the mirror rather than looking up to the one who is seated on the throne. You're thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. And instead of worshiping God for who he is, we're looking at ourselves as the answer. We're looking at ourselves. You know, one of the things that I loved, and, and, and some people don't appreciate this. You know, there's some Congress folks that don't appreciate this, but I appreciate this. And it is this, it is that when this nation first started to come into this crisis, our president called us to prayer. Listen, some people may not, may not appreciate that. I appreciate that. 
You know why? Because whether anybody wants to admit it or not, and I'm not saying he's a Christian or anything like that, what I'm saying is whether anybody wants to admit it or not, at least he knew who to call upon in the midst of the crisis. He knew who to say, you know what, nation, we need to cry out to God. We need to call out to the Lord. You know what, church, I, I challenge you today. Listen, you know what, let's, let's, let's join in faith with our president that miracles will happen between now and Easter and that we'll be able to celebrate together in one place worshiping the Lord and honor and glorify his name. Let, let's just pray by faith that way. Let's not be stupid. Come on now. But let's be a people of faith who understand, man, we need God in our lives. We need to know who to turn to. But you know what, church? If you think too highly of yourself, you know what you'll never do? You never turn to God. And in those moments, you know, you know, you know what's the issue with a lot of people? The issue with a lot of people is that they see themselves in situations like they're alone. Like they don't have someone to turn to. Like they don't have someone who actually has answers. Listen, you know, when we looked at the video that we were watching before the sermon, when you think about this, our foundation is checked when the storms hit our life. Because where are we standing? Are we standing on the rock of Jesus Christ, of his truth, of who he is? Or are we standing in our own understanding? Are we standing in our own wisdom? The third thing that I would ask you to repeat after me is this, to say great faith is recognized by God. Great faith is recognized by God. And so, and, and so great faith is not something that, that, that just is, is, is not noticed by the Lord, but it is something that is recognized. And listen, if you haven't gotten anything else that I've said in this whole sermon, I want you to pay attention to what I'm going to say right now. This is extremely, extremely important. You need to understand that God may not always respond the same way to our faith in him, but he always recognizes our faith in him. He may not respond the way that we want. He may not do exactly what we prayed for. However, he always recognizes our faith. He always sees our faith. He values our faith. He celebrates our faith even when he doesn't respond the way we want. Listen, he, if you read the book of Hebrews, you see that not everybody was delivered. Not everybody experienced the deliverance that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Not everybody experienced the same deliverance that Daniel did in the lion's den. Some people were sawed in half. Hello. In faith. One of my favorite stories, and Pastor Frank Reynoso, he always brings this up whenever he's preaching on this topic. One of the most beautiful pictures that we see in the scriptures is, is in, the, in the book of Acts, I believe it's chapter 7. And it's Stephen, who is the first martyr of the faith. And something beautiful happens at the end of Stephen's time when he's about to be stoned to death. He says, I see the Lord standing up. And, it, and, and it's almost as if Instead of the Lord extending his hand to block the stones, what the Lord did was stood up to say, my son, I'm watching you. I recognize your faith. I'm welcoming you home. And so here's the thing. There are some moments that God silences or, or, or shuts the mouths of lions. There are some moments that God decides that the fire is going to surround you, but you're not going to smell like even the smoke. But then there are other times that God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've run the race. You've come to the end. Let me welcome you home. God always recognizes our faith. He always recognizes, no matter how you and I think or see him responding. 
It's imperative that we grasp that point. So as always, we look at the things that we learned from Jesus in this particular portion of the story. And so in Luke, if you're in Luke, you can turn, look at Luke 7, verse 9 through 10. I'll read that, and then we're going to jump back to Matthew. Because Matthew gives a little bit more of the narrative. But Luke says this, when Jesus heard these things, I love this. If you're not afraid to write in your Bible, you can do this. Underline the word marveled. I love that. It says, it says he marveled at him. He was like, wow. Like he just paused for a moment and he was like, man, this guy, look what he says. And he turned around, he said to the crowd that followed him, all the Jewish, the elders that were there, all of these people that were present, he said, I say to you, I have not found such faith, such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. Now turn back to the book of Matthew, and we'll wrap up there, Matthew chapter 10. And look at what Jesus says here. He says, when Jesus heard it, again, he marveled and said to those who followed, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I want to pause there because I want us to look at some of the things that we see with Jesus. The first thing that I want you to notice here that we learn from Jesus in this evangelistic encounter is we, is we learn from Jesus. We're reminded in the centurion's life that all people are image bearers of God. The first thing that we notice is that all people are image bearers of God. All people are those who bear the image of God. How do we know this? Well, one thing that Jesus does is he celebrates the good in the centurion. Understand this, church. Everything good in us is a reflection of the image of God in us. Think about that. Everything that is good in you is a reflection of the image of God. And while the truth is that you and I have to remain humble in our own view of ourselves in light of who God is, that doesn't mean that we ignore the good that is in others. Are you here? It doesn't mean that we ignore the good that is going on in the hearts of other people, that is going on in the lives of other people. As a matter of fact, I want you to think about this. When you recognize the good in other people, that might become the bridge that leads you to them and leads them to Christ. There may be people that are not Christian, they're not saved, they're not walking with Jesus, but man, they're intelligent. Man, they, they, they have some good ideas. Man, they're creative. Man, they, they, you know, they, they, they think certain ways. They have certain talents and abilities. They have certain gifts. Can I tell you something? Every good gift, James says, comes down from above. So when we see good in people, whether they're followers of Christ or not, we can celebrate that in them. We can recognize that in them. We can go ahead and say, man, that's something that is good. And you know what we do? We don't just point to them. We let them know, you know what I want you to know? That thing in you, that's the image of God on you. And they may not even want to hear that. They may not even try to be, be trying to hear about God. Oh, no, I went to school. I, I don't care about all that. You know, I love Jonathan Reyes because he understands wholeheartedly. One day, you know, some of you that know him, you need to sit down with this guy and hear his testimony. He is a, he is a doctor right now. He's one of the professors at UCF. And this guy decided, he, look, God tricked him in my opinion. He was 100% not even thinking about going to college. He decided he was going to pick the most outlandish, crazy engineering degree, and he said, I'm going to go for that, and guess what? He got accepted into the program. Come on now. If that's not God, I don't know what is. 
Got accepted into the program. He graduates with his bachelor's like, I'm done. He feels like the Lord is leading him to go get his master's and get his doctor so he can minister to people. One of the most brilliant guys that I know. And you know what I thank God for is that he knows where all of it comes from. There is no question. And that's how we have to be. We have to point to God. In others, we have to let people know that everything in them is from him. The second thing that we see here is the faith of a person who is socially despised. See, this isn't just about the good stuff, right? This isn't just about the fact that he loved the nation of Israel. This isn't just about the fact that he did something. No, 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 this isn't just about that. This is more about him and his faith. Because after all of this other part of the narrative, Jesus marvels because he cannot believe the degree of faith that is in this guy. And you know what? I said this before, this was a slap in the face to all the Jews that were standing around him. Because you know what they realized? Wait a second, Jesus is saying something that's pretty harsh, but remember what I told you, Jesus loves those prideful people. And what Jesus was doing is in that moment, any Gentile that was around there, he was recognizing the faith in this Gentile. You know what he was saying to all of them? You can have faith too. You can have faith. You can have faith that makes God marvel. That's what you should hear right now. As you're listening, that you can have faith that makes God marvel. That you can have a faith that moves God the way that Jesus was moved by this guy. You can have faith like that. But here's the other thing. To all those people around there that were prideful, you know what it was doing? It was saying, humble yourself. Because this guy that you may think he's a, you know, he, he's, he's a philanthropist. He built you guys a temple. You may think that he loves you. I want you to know there's something more than just those good things. There's this faith that is in there. You need to look at him as an example. The third thing is this, and, and this goes in line with what we just said in those first two, but it is this, the gospel is for all people, no stereotypes. The gospel is for all people. Here's what I want you to know, is that it is easy for us to write certain people off. It is easy for us to say, man, these people don't want to hear the gospel. And I want you to know that that is one of the greatest lies that the enemy is telling you, that the enemy is trying to communicate to the church, is that nobody wants to hear the gospel. The truth is we live in this post-modern, this post-Christian culture. That's what we live in. That's the time that we live in. But here's what I want you to understand. That does not mean that God is not doing something in the hearts of people. It doesn't mean that. That doesn't mean that God is still not working. That doesn't mean that the words that Jesus declared to his disciples, that the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, those words still remain true today. And God is looking for laborers in his field. He's looking for us to go out there and say, hey, you know what? I want to be one that shares this gospel with other people. See, this guy, he was, I said it earlier, he was a slave owner, was he not? He was a centurion. He was a dude that you wouldn't think that he would want anything to do with faith or with Jesus, and yet God saved him. God worked in his heart. And so, church, my challenge is this. Let's look for opportunities to share the faith and reject the excuses. That's what this whole series is about. It's looking for ways and opportunities to share the faith the way Jesus would and removing the excuses, removing the barriers. It's not a cookie-cut situation. It's not a one-size-fits-all. It's not a one exact wording fits every single situation. It is this, is that Jesus is present and he is dealing with people on different levels. Wherever they are, he is doing what we say weekly. He is engaging people where they are, building their faith in him. Church, that's what we're supposed to be doing. We are supposed to be out there building the faith of the people. 
The fourth thing that we have here is that Jesus is the only way. We notice what? The centurion, like I said earlier, he couldn't do it on his own. He couldn't save his servant. He couldn't bring that healing to him. The only one that could do that was Jesus. And I want you to know the same holds true when it comes to salvation. Religious behavior, devotion, piety, good works. Listen, whatever religion you're part of, it doesn't matter how faithful you are to that religion. They all fall short of salvation. It's not about keeping rules. We keep rules because we've been saved, because Jesus has delivered us. But rules don't save us. We got to get that. Rules don't deliver us. Jesus is the one who delivers us. Listen, faith in Jesus is the only way to salvation. My question is, do you believe it? Not only do you believe it, but are you willing to share that? Are you willing to communicate with everybody that you encounter that thinks that they're okay by themselves, that thinks, man, my righteousness is good enough. Man, I'm okay in my, you know, religion, whatever it is. You know, I'm a good Buddhist. You know, I'm a good Hindu. I'm a good, you know, Muslim. I'm a good, you know, Scientologist. Whatever it is that they're good at, none of that stuff saves them. Are you willing to be bold enough to stand up and say, the only way to salvation is Jesus Christ? Church, that's our responsibility. And the last thing, and I want us to look at this in the scriptures together clearly, is the, it, that we see is the reality of judgment. The reality of judgment. Look what Jesus says in verse 11. He says, and I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So what is he saying when he's saying many will come from east to west? He's saying that people are going to come from all parts of the earth. They're going to come, not just Jews, but people from all over the world, like this centurion, are going to come, and they're going to sit down at this feast in glory with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But look what he says. But the sons of the kingdom... Those who are supposed to have a seat at the table. Those who are supposed to have, have this access because they're Jewish or because of their religion. He says what? Will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The reality of judgment. Jesus makes it clear that, that, that judgment is not something that might happen. It is something that will happen. We know the rest of the text. The rest of the text tells us that the, that, that, the servants, that the servant was healed. But what I want us to focus in on right now is this exact thing, this truth of, of the reality of judgment. Eternal suffering is what awaits all who are unwilling to surrender their hearts to Jesus in faith. Now listen, if you're a Christian, that should make your heart tremble. Because every person you lock eyes with that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, that person is on their way to a separation from God's love from eternity. And Jesus says that these are red letters, if you got the right Bible. Come on now. Jesus is guaranteeing judgment for many people who think they're not going to experience judgment. Church, we should tremble. 
If you are not a believer, if you are trusting in your own righteousness, if you are believing that you are okay by yourself, please hear my voice. Hear the words that I'm sharing with you now. Your righteousness is not good enough to get you into heaven. Your obedience is not good enough to get you into heaven. You need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. He is the one who delivers from sin. He is the one who saves us eternally. If you don't put your faith in him, then you will spend an eternity separated from his love in suffering. As unpopular as that may be, I don't say that to be mean. I say that because it is true. My heart and my prayer is that every person that hears this message, if you don't know Christ, that you would bow your heart unto him today, not tomorrow, but anyone, anyone who is placing their faith in themselves or a false religion, you have to be warned of the reality of hell. Church, you have to be out there warning people of the reality of hell. And I close with this thought. The gospel is not complicated. God is good. He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. He is merciful. He is loving. We have failed him because of our own desires, because of our own decisions. We have fallen short of his glory. We can never bridge the gap between us and him. But the beauty is that Jesus came and he bridged that gap. He died on the cross for us so we could have a relationship with God and we could be secure in his love. That is where we see that. We have to understand this, church. God calls all men everywhere to faith and repentance. He offers all men, not some men, but all men, his love and mercy through the gospel message. And he invites his followers. That's you and I. If you're a follower of Jesus, he invites us into the great mission of making disciples. And my closing question or thought is this. Are you on mission? Are you on mission? Are you on the mission that God has called you into? And when you think about that question, here it is. How is your faith in Christ in this season? How is your faith in Christ in this season? How is it? How is your faith in God in this very moment? Listen, this is a time of turmoil. This is a time of difficulty. This is a time of confusion. This is a time where people are fleeing one state to come to another state. This is a time where people are isolating themselves or staying away from everyone. My question is, how is your faith in this season? This centurion's faith was not shaken, but his faith was built stronger. And church, God wants to build your faith stronger. Let me pray for you today. Lord, I thank you so much. For your love, I thank you for your grace, for your mercy. I thank you for your kindness. And Lord, I thank you for every person that is listening to us online today. I thank you for every person who is hearing these words. And I pray for them, if they are a believer, God, may their faith be strengthened. God, may their faith be built strong. May their faith, God, be in you growing even in this season. Father, I pray against doubt. I pray against fear. I pray against anxiety. Right now, I pray that you give them peace, that you give them joy, that you give them confidence that you are with them. God, I pray as well for anyone that may be listening, who, God, they know today their faith is not in you, but they want to make that decision. God, today I ask you, draw their hearts to you. May they cry out to you and ask you to forgive them and fill them with your spirit. And may you begin a new thing in them today. And I pray these things believing in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.